Well, hey, happy Memorial Day weekend. Yeah? Got some fun things planned, hopefully. Some large amounts of beef shredded up into little patties and guacamole. You guys have guacamole out here? It's this fruit called an avocado. Grows in California. That's all right. I told my California friends, there's this stuff here that falls from the sky and feels like water. They were all jealous. Free lawn watering. Well, for those of you who are interested to know, last week I had shared about um, the fun things my family and I have been going through. And our mailbox was assaulted, and our water heater blew up, all sorts of fun stuff. Well, this week again, the day after I fixed my mailbox, it got run over again. All right? So I did what anyone from the South would do. I named my gun Southern Justice, and I loaded Southern Justice. And I, instead of putting up the hollow PVC mailbox, went to Home Depot, and I got the wood beam-filled PVC version. And I dug down as far as my arm could go, and I poured 50 pounds of concrete in, and I put a surveillance video on it. So if it's you that's doing it to my mailbox, next time you drive by, I will have you on film. And somebody from the chapel already drove by my house, waving their arms out the window like a lunatic. Um, yes, the camera works. Yes, it's recording. Right now, I could even bring it up on my phone just to make sure someone's not playing hooky and hitting it while I'm here. But uh, my neighbors asked me, they said, hey, uh, is that a camera? in your front window pointing at my house? I'm like, well, technically, it's pointing at my mailbox. Your house just happens to be in the way. So it's, it's sort of weird. I've never had a camera in my house before, but my wife feels a little bit safer, I think, and, uh, and the week has gone on. Uh, anyway, aside from those fun things, we are in John chapter 8. If you are joining us today, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along, or if you have your app, you can follow along. We are in the English Standard Version, the ESV, if you're trying to figure out which one to sort through on the Bible app. And then we are going to pray and jump into God's word today. Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for what these verses mean to me. And I thank you for the power that you can speak into our lives through these verses and through your word today. Lord, I pray that we would find you more beautiful today, that we would treasure you more today, that we would see you for who you are more today, that you would remove distractions of of errand lists and to-do lists and the stresses of life, help us to put those on pause for these next minutes so that we can come to your throne of grace and mercy and hear a word from you. Lord, I pray that you would set the captives free today. I pray that you would show us to be your disciples today and those who don't know you. God, would you call them into your loving arms by your sovereign power today. Open up your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in John chapter 8. We've been going through the book of John at a rather breakneck speed. And today, as I was studying, I sent in my, my outline two weeks ago to the tech team so they can make the slides. And I just love this chapter so much. It's one of my uh, top chapters in the Bible. If I had to pick top three chapters in the Bible, this is in my top three. It's Romans 8 is probably my number one. And then John 8 is either going to be number two or three, depending on where we are. And as I kept studying it, I was originally going to try preaching from verse 31 to verse 47. That sounds like fun. And I kept reading it and reading it and reading it. And then today I stand before you. I think we're going to get from verse 31 to verse 31. That's as far as we're going to get. 
maybe. We might make it to verse 32. I'm going to read verse 32 just for fun, and we're going to jump in and see what God would have to say to us. So here we are, John 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I'm going to read it one more time. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now here, here's one of those statements that Jesus makes. And if you've never studied the Bible before, I'm going to give you a little tip. One of the things you can do is you can read a phrase over and emphasize different words. And every time I prepare a sermon, every time I prepare a Bible study, if I have a focused verse or a focused verses, I will always do this. And this is what it sounds like. No joke, this is what I do in my head or I'll walk around the block and I'll do this. I'll start out reading Jesus' lines. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, are you getting the point? And here's what happens when you do that. A verse will start to come to the surface, and you can ask questions of it. Because when you emphasize a word, you can say, what would it mean if that word were the focal point of this verse? If you abide, so some people will not abide in God's word. If you abide I want to know what it means to abide in Jesus' word. If you abide in my word, my singular word, you are truly my disciples. Because we're here, right? We're at a church gathering. Hardly anyone's here because they don't want to be a disciple. Now, granted, there's somebody here that's been dragged. There's somebody here that's been coerced. Most of them are either in the children's wing or they're sitting next to you unhappily married. That wasn't a good joke, sorry. (laughs) I guess I'm unhappily married. I'm right next to him. But my call to you, my, my admonition to you today is be a true disciple, and we should be thinking about that for our own life. Because Jesus is saying here, there are untrue disciples. There are people who believe, because these are Jews who had believed in him, who are untrue disciples and were not abiding in his word. So right out of the gates... We're seeing some weird things. Jews believed, but they were untrue disciples. One of my favorite passages, it's terrified me since I first became a Christian. It's in Matthew chapter 7. This is Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, depart from me, I never knew you. So, these guys approach Jesus, and they say, Lord, we prophesied. We cast out demons. We did miracles. And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. I want to figure out what the difference is between that type of disciple who's going to depart and the kind of disciple who's going to be with Jesus forever. I want to get at the heart of what these verses are talking about in John chapter 8. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth is a 
rare commodity nowadays. Um, people want to know the truth. We value education in our culture. We send kids through high school, and that's just the beginning, and then they go to college, and then they go to graduate school, then they become PhDs, and then they go back and they teach at high schools and colleges and do the whole cycle over again, all for the small, small fee of hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, I have what I believe to be truth. And I've gone to college. I went to community college. That was an awesome experience. There's nothing quite like getting kicked out of your uh, freshman college biology class because you ask questions. I wasn't being a jerk. I just asked questions. There's nothing like going to your communications class and being told by your communications teacher to never pursue a career in public speaking. Um, that was me. Clearly, I listened. But one of the things that was not valued, it seemed to me, was truth. Because I had this truth, but nobody wanted to hear it. My biology teacher didn't want to hear it. My philosophy professor for sure didn't want to hear it. And that whole class was designed on knowing what is knowledge, what is truth, how can we know what is true, reading a bunch of books by old dead guys. And I was like, hey, I've got truth. Do you guys want to hear it? No, not that truth. We don't want to hear spiritual truth. We want to hear philosophical truth. And I have nothing against philosophy. I love philosophy. I read the heck out of philosophy books. But at the end of the day, there's something that's lacking in our culture. There's something about the nature of truth that people seem to shy away from. As soon as we say we know something is true for sure, we are the narrow-minded. We are the bigoted. We are the right or, or liberal or whatever, however you want to typecast it. You're the crazy one if you say, I know the truth. If I went into a university today and said, I know the truth that will set you free, no one's going to want to listen. But I think it's important for us today to figure out, what is this truth? How do we abide in it? And how does it set us free? Or what does it set us free to do? So let's do the first thing. If. Have any of you wondered if you're a Christian? Anyone wondered that besides me? I've wondered it. There's some nights where I'm up too late. I've had way too many Red Bulls, way too many carne asada burritos. That's a steak-filled burrito in California. And I just start to wonder crazy thoughts. I have doubts. Just so you know, it's okay to have doubts about your faith. I think it's actually good. The Bible commends us to test our faith. So it's okay to wonder that sometimes. How about this? Let me make an easier question. How many of you ever wondered if someone else that you know is a true disciple of Jesus? Anyone wondered that? You're like, oh yeah, my neighbor, my mother, my dad every other week. We wonder because we look at people's behavior. We look at what they're doing and we wonder. The people outside the church call that judging. I just call it looking around. Now, lest you fall into the trap of thinking that there's disciples and then regular Christians, there's not in this passage. There's people who are true disciples, people who are untrue disciples, and then there's people who are not disciples at all. Those are the three categories that cover everyone in this world. So if you are, so ask the question, am I a true disciple of Jesus? Will I be cast out or held in the family in the end? If you abide in his word. Now I love this word abide in the word in. I like this concept of, of being close to something, of taking such a closeness to it that you're not just next to it, but you're in it. Anybody have experience in the ocean here? Okay, let me, let me do this question. Anyone have a radical fear of deep water ocean? Like if I threw you in it, you'd be terrified. Okay, 
Just a side note, if you do ever get, come into that situation, don't pee in terror because sharks are attracted to urine. Just a free one for you. You can say, I learned something at church today. So there's something unique about going to the ocean. I love the ocean, grew up in the ocean, can't remember not being in the ocean. But I do remember distinctly the first time I took a boat out because I, I didn't grow up with boats and things like that. So I got into a, a boat for the first time, went out, and there's this thing that happens when you get far away from the land, all of a sudden the land's a sliver, and then all of a sudden the land disappears. And it's just you in a boat in the ocean and whoever's with you. And then there's something that happens when you're out in the middle, you can't see land, you're out there fishing, having the greatest time, and you realize, I've got to pee. And you say, hey man, I've got to go to the restroom, like, how does this work out? We've got all kinds of genders. And they say, well, you just jump in the water. And as a young teenage boy, growing up in the ocean, I wasn't super afraid of sharks. I've seen little leopard sharks around, sand sharks. But when you can't see land, and someone says, you just jump in the ocean, there's a different fear that happens. Because it's not like there's a sandbar that I can see. It's literally just a shade of blue, a shade of darker blue, and then death where great whites loom. So I jumped in, and this is when I learned the fun fact. Because as I'm going for the first time in the ocean, in the deep blue, I learned the fun fact I just shared with you. Because the person I was with says, by the way, sharks are attracted to pee. And I'm like, I can't stop now. (laughs) Why would you tell me that here? I would have not jumped in to do this. But there's this sense, and I've overcome that now. I can jump in water or anywhere. I'm not scared of sharks. I've, I've touched them, swam with them. They're not a big deal. They just eat humans from time to time. But there's this sense of when you're enveloped in the ocean, when you're away from land, that is unlike anything I've ever experienced. I, I imagine it's similar to maybe jumping out of a plane and having nothing around you, but I'm not, I'm not stupid enough to try that. Um, no offense, Jared. But being in the middle of the ocean, there's a sense of, I am a tiny speck of insignificant meat floating through this vast ocean. It could suck me under in a second. I couldn't do anything. It could shoot me away for miles. I couldn't do anything. A giant fish could eat me. I would just die or be spit up three days later. I could could get bit by a shark. It's just nothing I can do. I'm helpless and vulnerable out here. Now that fear, that all-encompassing fear for me has since changed, and now it's a joy. I jump in the ocean, and I look like a porpoise in happiness. I just go. I don't care if I'm in the deep. I don't care if there's a shark near me. I don't care. I'm just so happy. But that sense of the all-enveloping nature of the ocean is still very real for me. And when I think this verse is saying, if you abide in my word... He's talking about that sense of, you want to know if you're a true disciple? You need to be in my word. You need to be wrapped up around it so that nothing else is around you, so that all that you feel is this wonderful, amazing, abiding presence around you, through you, over you, in you. You can't escape it. If you want to know you're a true disciple, ask yourself, am I abiding in Jesus' word? Am I surrounded by it? Do I feel the pressures of it in a gentle, loving way all around me? Because his presence is not the fear. His presence is not the thing that's going to squash you or sweep you under. His presence is the one that says, you are mine and I am yours and I love you and you cannot get away from it. No matter how far you swim one way or the other, you're in an ocean of grace. That's what I think he's getting at here when he says, if you abide in my word, then you are 
truly my disciples. You are. Now here's an epidemic I see in Christianity. This, this terrifies me to the core. I see people, I meet people, I talk with people every week who are saying, I'm, how, are you, how are you doing with God? I'll ask them, how are you doing? Well, I'm trying, Pastor. I'm, I'm working really hard. I'm reading my Bible. I try to do family devos. My kids spit in my face. It's the worst. I spanked them. It's, Christianity is tough, man, but I think, I think I'm doing okay. And I'll say, hey, man, do you just feel loved by God today? Well, you know, I'm trying really hard. No, no, that wasn't my question. Do you feel loved by God, your Father, today? Well, I, I feel like I'm loved by him if I'm doing okay that day. And if we're being honest, I think all of us can find ourselves there. But if we read the Bible, the Bible uses very strong language. If you abide in Jesus' word, you are truly my disciples. Not you will be truly my disciples. You are, in this moment, fully loved by God. You are, in this moment, fully approved of by God if you are abiding in the word of Jesus Christ. Now, we have this... We have this uh, awesome thing that I just love, and we don't think about it enough in churches. We have this concept of salvation where we think, I get saved, I say the prayer, I do whatever, I get my ticket stamped, I can go to heaven. And we forget that salvation is really broken up into three tenses, past tense, present tense, and future tense. We've talked about this before. You were saved from the penalty of sin when you came to Christ. All that you've done and all that you are doing and all that you will do, the penalty was paid for. Past tense, were saved from the penalty. You are, present tense, being saved from the power of sin. You were saved from the penalty. You are being saved from the power. That's why we still sin. If any of you have ever wondered, man, Ryan, why do I still sin? I know Jesus saved me, but I still love sin. We're going to get there in a second. Why do I do that? Because it's a process. You are currently being saved from the power of sin. Why doesn't God just rip it out of you all at once? Because I think you'd probably wither up and weep in a ball of crying and tears for 10 years. And I love how gracious our father is. It's like my son, Jackson. When he does something wrong, I don't attack everything he does wrong. He's six years old. He does a lot of stuff wrong. Like he hits his brother and his sister. Guess which one he gets in trouble for more often? His sister, right? Because it's a girl. So I'll sit him down. He hits his brother. I'm like, Silas, stop crying. Don't be a wuss. And, and when, he, when Jackson hits Savannah, I'm like, if you hit her again, I'm going to put you through the ceiling. If you hurt her again, I'm going to tie you to the mailbox tonight. <laughs> because a brother's job is to protect and love. He is being saved from the power of sin, I believe. But I can't go after all of his sin at once because it's too much. Just like with all of us in this room. If God said, I'm going to show you all your sin at one time, we would just wallow. We go, how could I ever overcome that? Because from our perspective, sin is so intertwined in us, we can't even fathom the depth of the wickedness that we are. Remember the slogan I taught you all to say, where you take your finger and you point it at yourself and you say, I'm worse than I think I am. And that's good news because that means Jesus died for more than I ever knew or imagined. We are worse than we think we are, but Jesus is currently, present day, saving us from the power of sin. And then future tense, Jesus will one day save us from the presence of sin. That's when I will sin no more. That's when sin's presence, all this power of sin in my life, will be gone. People ask me, why do you want to die, Ryan? Because I want it to be gone. I just want to be done with this so I can abide in this word of God and not be tempted by looking at other things. We're going to get there, okay. So here we go. You are, if you abide in Jesus' word, you are, you are truly his disciples. 
It's always that past tense because God sees that has happened and he's working you through the process. In 1 John, he echoes this thing. He says, and the, if the word of God abides in you, you have, you have overcome the evil one. If the word of God abides in you, you already have overcome him. People asked me last week after my sermon when I was mouthing off to Satan. They said, aren't you scared that Satan's going to mess you up for talking about him last week in your sermon? No, because I have overcome him. He's not bigger than Jesus. He doesn't scare me. So what do we do next, church? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what does it look like? Because that's the question at the end of the day. What's the brass tacks? How do we know that we are abiding in God's word? Because right that ocean thing is nice. You know, don't pee in the ocean. Don't swim alone. Whatever feels good. It's all around me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does that look like? And this is where we could go a thousand different directions. But I, I want to take us just one direction. If you don't have the love of God in you toward others, it may be because the love of God is not in you at all. And that's not my opinion. I'm just reading one of the other things that John wrote. In 1 John, if you read that letter, I read it this week, you can read it in about 25 minutes. Over and over again, he says, if you don't love others, then God's love is not in you. Over and over again, he says, if you want to know you're a true disciple, know it by your love for one another. And here's where it gets tricky. I have people in my life that are hard to love. Most of them are across the country. Makes it a lot easier to be a Christian here. One of them is attacking my mailbox. But when I get them on camera, I will try to love them after that with Southern justice. For this is, this is John, 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burden, burdensome. So this is the way I want us to view loving others. This is the way I want us to view obeying God. This is the way I want us to view abiding in Jesus' word. That we would take all of those things, all of those components, loving God, loving others. We have it on the banner above the prayer wall. Love God, love others. That's a pretty significant thing in the Bible. It's a theme that runs through it. And then we have this concept of, I want to abide in his word. What does that mean? I think it's hinged on this last part of John, 1 John 5, 3. And his commandments are not burdensome. Loving people all of a sudden becomes not a burden. Do you remember when you first met your significant other? I'm sorry if you're 12 and you don't have that. Um, if you're 12, do you remember when you first met your Xbox? <laughs> there was that moment of the honeymoon phase where they could do nothing wrong. You just, you just loved whatever they did. Literally, she could snort at a joke and you're like, how cute. Literally, the worst habits now that drive me nuts, which my wife has none of, in the beginning are all cute. And it's probably vice versa. My wife thought I was funny when we were dating. Now, every time I tell a joke, she cringes. Don't believe me? Just watch her face for a sermon. <laughs> They're all looking at you, baby. Love you. She's going to get mad at me for that later. It's all right. My couch is long. Here's, here's what I think 
John is wrapping together in the gospel, saying, know Jesus, believe in Jesus, you'll be free. You want to know what that looks like? In First John, it looks like loving people, loving God, obeying his commandments, but not just obeying his commandments, but that his commandments are not a burden. Dating is never a burden. Let me tell you, there is never a time in my life where I was more willing to just throw money at food dates than when I was dating my wife. She's like, hey, you want to go out? Yes, let's go out. Is this too much money? Not too much money. I will go into debt for you. I didn't say that out loud. Uh, out loud, I was saying, I got money on credit cards. And we kept going and going. And I, I loved it. Let's go to Hard Rock. Let's go here. Let's go here. Let's hang out. And it was not a burden at all. This is what God wants you to experience in following him, where it's no longer a burden, where when you pick up your Bible, you're like, I love it. I can't get enough of it. I just want to keep reading it because in here I'm finding Jesus. And now you say, here's the question of them all. Ryan, I want that, but I don't want that. It's like I say it, but then I don't mean it. And I really do want to have that, Ryan. I want to hunger for God. I want to see him as beautiful in my treasure. Because we read stories like Matthew 13, the parable of the man who finds a treasure, in a field, and then in his joy, he sells all that he has to buy the field to get the treasure. And I would say, be that person. Be that in love with Jesus today. But here's the thing. You can't just muster that up. He's got to become beautiful to you. It's just like the first time you see your significant other or the Xbox. You look across the room, and we've all done this. I don't think flirting has changed since Adam flirted with Eve. You stare at them in a less creepy way than that. But you keep looking, and then they look, and then you wave, and you say hi, and they say hi, and you, then you do whatever. That, that changes from culture to culture. You know, back in the boomer generation, it was like, hey, yo, baby, let me get them digits. Yeah. Nowadays, people have much more respect than that. <laughs> I'm out of control. I had two Red Bulls today. I apologize. They were two for four. So here it is. Are his commandments burdensome to you? Is Christianity to you a thing that you come to to say, ah, I just got to please God this week? Uh, do you go to your neighbor to say, okay, if I don't love my neighbor, then God says that his love's not in me, so I got to really try hard to love my neighbor who I actually hate. Do you come to the Bible and say, you know, I'm just going just gonna to touch it on the way to do what I really want to do? Because this world is full of fun things. This world is full of good things that our hearts want to make sinful things. See, sin isn't just when we simply do something that's bad and, and don't do something that we should do. We, we don't help people. We don't give. We're not sacrificial. We're not generous people. That's, those are under the umbrella of sin. But at its core, sin is finding something else more beautiful and valuable in your life than Jesus. Do you want to know why he says in First John 5, his commandments are not burdensome. If the love of God is in you, his commandments are not burdensome because Jesus becomes your treasure. Do you want to know how freeing it is when Jesus says in John chapter 8, if you abide, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free? Do you want to know what you're freed from? You're freed from having to love anything else for your worth. You're freed from having to love anything else for your identity. You're freed to have, having to fight for the approval of others. You're free because if you abide in his word, the father looks at you and says, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. Ryan, he doesn't say that about me. He says that about Jesus. 
Yes, that's true. And then when Jesus died, he clothed you in his righteousness. Did you know that right now when God looks at you, if you are abiding in Jesus' word, he says, you are my child with whom I am well pleased. And he's saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You've followed in Jesus' footsteps. You've been clothed in him. You've believed in him. Because here's how freeing this gets. If we're abiding, if we're being enveloped by this ocean of God's grace and beauty, all of a sudden other things become less attractive. All of a sudden other things become less of a requirement to make us happy. And we can finally rest. Because let me tell you, it's exhausting to spin wheels in this world and not have that. Not have that freedom of knowing that I'm totally loved of and approved of by God the Father because of what Jesus did for me. I mean, that's life-changing because no longer do I have to try to earn my way up any ladder. No longer am I on the gerbil wheel of life trying to get love, get approval, be happy, be happy, be happy. My happiness is rooted in something that cannot be shaken. I was reminded this morning that, uh, that life can sometimes suck. I really love being a senior pastor, by the way. I get to say whatever I want. Life can sometimes suck. And, uh, and we ask questions of God. Well, God, why would you let this happen? God, why would you let this person do this to me or let this job fall through or, or let this relationship break or let this child walk away from the Lord or let this whatever happen? And I was reminded this morning, it's, it's part of God's sovereign plan. Now, I know that. But what we need to know is not that it's just part of his sovereign plan, but that he's doing it for your joy so that you can believe in Jesus, so that you can find freedom that your soul is craving. Because at the end of the day here, that's what Jesus is after, your freedom. He's not after trapping you in a religion. He's after your freedom. He's not after you having to wake up and read your Bible and say, ah, this is the most boring part of my day. He wants to make this a burden-free thing, to get to know him. Some of you are still saying this, Ryan, I, I just don't like it. I This Christianity thing, I can't, it just drives me nuts. I try to read my Bible, I fall asleep. Well, step one, don't try to read your Bible at 12 o'clock at night. Ryan, I try to pray, I just fall asleep. Step two, drink two Red Bulls, then pray and read your Bible. Ryan, I just don't like, it's boring, I don't get it. Step four, get in a Bible study where people can help you walk through this and hold you accountable to walking through this. Ryan, I still, I, I want to, but, but then I just want to do other stuff. I just want to eat and drink and have sex and be merry. Well, in that case, you sound like you're a conflicted soul, which all of us are. So I always commend people to do the prayer of the Father when Jesus came down the Mount of Transfiguration and the Father said, Lord, would you heal my son? Do any of you church kids know what he, the Father said? Jesus said, do you believe? And he said, I believe, help my unbelief. If you're finding yourself struggling to see Jesus as beautiful, if you're finding yourself struggling to see Jesus as the most valuable thing in your life, but you want it, some level you want it, some level you don't, pray that prayer. Pray for one week, from this Sunday to next Sunday. Every day you get up, open your Bible, and you're like, ah, I don't want to read it. I want you to say in your head, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Because that's the most honest prayer we can say. Any of us ever have unbelief? Every day. Every day. I loved reading John chapter 8 last night. Seven days ago, I was like, ah, 
My water heater is going to blow up. My mailbox is getting smashed. I just want to kill somebody. I don't want to love people, God. Don't tell me to love people, to be free, to abide in this love thing. I want to kill things. Well, Ryan, that's why I sovereignly had you preaching John chapter 8 this week. And that's why I sent that guy to run over your mailbox. You're laughing. It's not funny. No. And as you read through John 8 this week, just read this chapter over and over and say, God, help me abide. Show me if I'm a true disciple. I want to be a true disciple. I want to know what it means to abide. But sometimes I just don't believe. Because you can't muster up the energy to make God beautiful. There was nothing that my wife had to do to to muster up beauty to me. It wasn't like I, I liked her and I was like, hey, can you beautify it up a little bit? Now they do on your wedding day. I mean, that's like the best day ever. Your wife gets all dolled up. You get to rent some sweet tux. She comes down the aisle. And it, I wasn't up in my mind doing an inner monologue. Okay, Ryan, find her as beautiful. Find her as beautiful. See her beauty. I didn't have to pump myself up. She walked around the corner with her dad and I was like, aside from the old geezer, that chick is smoking hot. <laughs> and she came down the aisle and I stared and I just think, I can't believe someone this amazing wants to be with me for the rest of her life. Does she know what she's doing? And she's just beautiful to me. If Jesus isn't that way to you, ask yourself the question, am I abiding in something else that's not Christ, that's not his word? Am I looking for life's value and pleasures in some other place besides Jesus. Because there is an ocean of grace and beauty in Jesus that you can swim in. But in our culture, there's a hundred different pools that we seek to jump into instead. And they're not filled with life. They're filled with terrible, soured, muddy, festering water. And that's all I want to commend you to today. To abide in the word, the living water, the true bread who gives life. In closing today, I just want to say that um, I've been really encouraged to be here. It's sort of a heart-to-heart. I've been here now for six weeks. I was going to write a blog after one month, and I didn't, mostly because my house was getting assaulted. But I've been encouraged to be here because I'm meeting so many of you who are coming up to me later, sending me emails and Facebook messages saying, Ryan, I'm so happy that I'm free in Jesus. Little notes, text messages, this and that. I'm happy to be here because I don't know that I've ever been at a church family that that embraces grace so quickly. As I shared early on, the people that get maddest at grace are usually longtime churchgoers because they don't want it to be free. They don't want to be able to earn it. They want to be able to have control. And I've come to realize something, why I love you guys so much because you're just as broken and jacked up as I am. I'm not trying to be funny. I literally feel like God has planted us here to be a beacon of hope in a community that's searching for hope in a hundred million different areas. In a community that's searching for hope by commuting 45 minutes to downtown and coming back, all the while not realizing that it's okay to be messed up because Jesus loves us right there in the midst of the mire, in the midst of the swamp. And I I could not have asked for a better church family. It's been such an incredible uh, six weeks so far. 
If I find out one of you is uh, running up my mailbox, I'm going to change that whole statement, and I'm going to have them strike it from the video. But man, let's carry this hope to our neighbor, across the street, to the person that owns the pizza shop, to the person that owns a coffee shop. I don't support addictions unless they're in Jesus' name. So if you're addicted to something, go lead someone to Jesus there. And you might get a discount there, by the way, as well. Uh, the last coffee shop I went and led people to Jesus to, they ended up giving me free coffee all the time. Um, there's only pagan coffee shops here, so I don't know how I get coffee here for free. But I'm trying. But let's be that beacon of hope and love to those around us. Let's show people by our lives that Jesus is the most beautiful thing by finally having open hands so we can give up things in our life for the sake of Jesus. This, I'm not saying this to give money here. I'm saying this so that when your neighbor is saying, man, we're really tight on money this month, you go buy a $100 gift card to Publix and say, man, go shopping. Or that when you're, you're young couple stressing out, they've got a two-year-old, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, uh, I'm not talking about my life, but if you do know someone like that and they haven't had a date night in like a month and a half, just be like, hey, we'll watch your kids for free. I promise you we're not creepy people. They don't have to say yes. But reach out. Serve people. Love people. Ask what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus. Uh, one last thing I told the new members I would tell you guys. If you're saying, okay, Ryan, I've been at the chapel for a million billion years ever since it was started. What do I do tangibly? Um, this is what I, we just finished our new members class. We have our dinner get together this week at my house. We're going to just eat pizza and, and hang out in the backyard with all of our families. But here's one of the things I commended to them. They said, what does it mean to be a member of the chapel? Whether you're a, an official member, you just come every week for the free coffee. Here's what I said. I want you to give five hours to the chapel, just five hours a week. And here's why I pick five hours. I pick an hour and a half for worship service, give or take, depending on how many Red Bulls I've had. I pick an hour and a half to serve either the chapel ministries, like serve in children's, serve in cafes, serve in greeters, or just serve your neighborhood. Go around your neighborhood and ask your neighbors, hey, how can I help you today? Can I help you with yard work? Can I help you with gardening? And when they ask why, you just say, my pastor said I got to do this an hour and a half a week. Then we're going to have a bunch of free gardeners all over Fishhawk. Three, the other two hours, are two hours in community. And I had some people ask questions, and I've had people ask questions over the years. Why just five hours? Why not 10? Why not 20? Because I think the church has a bad habit of trying to get you to spend all of your time here. I don't want to do that. I want you to give five hours to the chapel so that you can give the other 163 hours of your week to something more important, like reaching out to the people who you know and love and that God has put in your life. So I want you to think about that this week. Am I a true disciple? Am I abiding in his word? Am I willing to start giving five hours a week to see the ministries of God move forward in this area? I think you'll see a big difference. I think you'll see a big change. Uh, now let's pray as we head into the offering. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, it's, uh, it's astonishing to me how much you love us. Lord, there are people in this room who feel a million miles from you right now. They, they feel as though your love could not possibly cross the chasm into their life. Father, there's people here that are wrestling with, with shame. There's people here wrestling with guilt. There's people here that are lost in an ocean of hopelessness. Lord, my prayer has been all week that you would give people freedom from those things, that you would grab those who are wallowing in shame 
and show them that they are loved and embraced and forgiven. That you would reach out to those who are hopeless and they feel like they're treading water for the last minute that they could possibly stand and they're about to go under. Would you reach down and grab their arm and pull them up and remind them that you are the boat and the shelter and the storms. Father, there are those in here who feel guilty, who are, who are stuck in the tar pit of guilt for things that they have done. They don't think that you could possibly forgive them for their sins. I pray in Jesus' name that they would see your death on the cross outruns their sin 10 times out of 10. Lord, I pray for those in here who simply are living normal suburban life and they just can't seem to see you as beautiful, as valuable, as a treasure. Father, strip away those distractions that would tear them from your loving arms. Help us to abide in you in such a way that we feel enveloped, that we feel supported by and surrounded by the ocean of your grace and mercy and love. Because I'm sick of seeing Satan win in lives. Father, I'm sick of it. Break strongholds down today. In Jesus' name.